Let's open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to keep continuing in the series of the Sermon on the Mount. We are learning about Jesus' greatest teachings while he was on earth. The Sermon on the Mount is found in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and it summarizes all of the great teachings of Jesus Christ. We are going verse by verse through the entire book of Matthew here on Sundays. So all of the past messages are on our website, metropraise.org, as well as uh, John on Fridays. We're going through the entire gospel verse by verse. And I felt the Lord tell me to do that because so often I as a preacher or different preachers will take verses and we'll just preach happy little sermons out of the topics that we enjoy. But I really wanted the church to hear exactly what Jesus said. Everybody say Jesus's words make the difference. And it's really been challenging, especially for this week, because we're talking about peacemakers. Now, I would never choose that as a subject, okay? But I am now forced to preach it because Jesus talked about being a peacemaker. And so I want you all to really get into this series, enjoy the series, go back over the past messages, and make sure you share them with your friends. And next week, we are going to be talking about the last one of the Beatitudes. So we're going to be summarizing them all up when it talks about blessed are the persecuted. But just look up here real quick. It says Sermon on the Miles where Jesus preached his greatest messages. The Beatitudes is Latin for happiness. It's also what the word blessed means. Everybody say blessed. Look at your neighbor say blessed with a smile. Blessed. All right, there you go. Smile. It means to be happy. It means to be given the abundant life. Now, Jesus starts off the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes, the teachings of blessings. Beatitudes are to give you happy attitudes. Okay, John 10, 10 says the thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. He said, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Everybody say the abundant life. You see, God wants us to have an abundant life, a life that is to the full and being filled, overflowing every day, a happy life. And a happy life is not dependent upon the economy. It's not dependent upon traffic. It's not dependent upon how people treat us when we get our cell phone bill and it's messed up and we've got to call them. Happiness is on the inside between us and God, our relationship, being in a continual state of revival with Him, and then letting it affect the outside world, letting it affect the places that we are affecting and infecting those situations, bringing God's joy into the troubles of this life. And that's how we can always have an abundant life. Everybody say blessed. Amen. So let's look at how Jesus taught us we should be blessed. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So right there, happy are the people who come poor to God because he makes them rich. The Bible says in the book of Revelations, naked, wretched, blind, miserable, and poor we come, but he clothes us in white and he gives us gold. That's what it's like to be a Christian. Amen? You are no longer the sinner you used to be. Like I said before, you came po, but you ain't po, no mo. Amen? You come now, you leave rich in God. And the riches of God are more than just silver and gold. It's the blessings of happiness. Look at Galatians 5.21. When you have time, the fruit of the Spirit, you are rich in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You are rich. The Bible says the kingdom of God is righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. You are rich in God. Can you say amen? That's how you get happy. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. 
This is not the depression of the world. This is not using Lanesta to go to bed at night. This is coming to God with our sorrows, with our pains, the deepest hurts of our lives. And Jesus says, when you come to him, you will be comforted. It is a promise. So no matter what you go through in life, whatever troubles or trials you face in the midst of your broken heart, in the midst of your pain, come to Jesus. And the peace that passes your understanding will guard your heart and your mind. Amen. The Bible says, then you will have uh, fullness of joy in the presence of the Lord. And at his right hand will be pleasures forevermore. Can you say happy? That's how we get happy when we're sad. That's what the Bible says. Verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Not the weak, but the meek, having strength under control, knowing your identity, who you are, knowing your position, where God has placed you in life, and knowing your function. God says that is true meekness. Philippians 2 said God became flesh and lived among us as man. He knew he was God, but he humbled himself as a man. Because he did that, died on the cross, the Bible says he was given a name that is above every name. And at the name of, what's his name? Come on, you all got to say at the name of. Jesus, every knee shall bow and tongue confess to the glory of God the Father, that he's Lord. Amen? That is how you and I should live, knowing who we are, knowing the position that God has placed us in, knowing our functions. And all of these messages are on the website, by the way. But keep going. That will make you happy. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Amen? Everybody here today can be filled with righteousness. You might say, Pastor, but I cuss. Okay, well, get hungry for a clean mouth and God will change you. You might say, well, Pastor, I struggle with pornography. Get hungry for purity and God will fill you. If you begin to search after God and his righteousness, the Bible says you will be filled. Why? Because in Christ Jesus, you are the righteousness of God. Amen? He has clothed you with righteousness. Righteousness, the Bible says, has been imputed to you. That means it was never yours. You can never get it. But when you got saved, Jesus Christ and his blood washed you clean and says, now you're righteous. And when you need me to make you more righteous, when you're struggling, call on me and you will be filled. Amen. That's a good thing. I'll get me happy. Does that get you happy? That we're righteous. We don't have to bow down six times towards Mecca and then do all this baloney. We just hunger for him and he'll fill us. Thank you, Lord. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We talked about being merciful to our enemies, to those that despitefully use us, to those that hurt us. And when we are merciful to them, God says we receive mercy back. On the day of judgment, we are going to receive the amount of mercy we've given to others. That's why you should always forgive. Walk in forgiveness. That is going to make you happy. Somebody say merciful. Amen. Then moving on to verse 8, says, Blessed are the pure in heart. For they will see God. How many are seeing God today? How many are seeing God move? Why? Because he comes to the pure in heart. We learned in Psalms 24, who shall stand in this holy place, who will be on the hill of the Lord? He that has clean hands, a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to idols nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive blessing from the Lord. This is the generation who seek your face, O God of Jacob. How many God seekers do we have in the place? Amen. The Bible says, blessed are, happy are, prosperous, successful are those who are pure in heart. Amen. They don't cheat on their taxes. They don't cheat on their job. You know, I know that's tempting around tax time, you know. They, 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 don't, they don't lie. They don't do things that are against God's word. In the integrity of their heart, they are honest before God and man, and they see God. Are you seeing God today? Are you seeing God today? Are you seeing God? Amen. That's what makes me happy. And here we are, verse 9 to today. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Everybody say, peacemakers. 
those that make peace. And here's what's going to be next week. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about this. Because if you have never heard a message on church history or on the persecution of the Christian church, you need to come next week. It will challenge you. It will reshape your thinking. Because today in America, you may have one picture of Christianity. But I'm going to show you what happened. And it's been happening for the last 2,000 years around the world. Where Christianity came from. What happened to the original 11 disciples. Because Jesus said in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. You see right there, that is the toughest one. But the Bible spends the most time on it because he loves those who stand up for his name, even under suffering. And I want you to come next week, not so that we can just walk around and be like, beat me. I want to be persecuted because I want to be blessed. Not that you come and just have this beat me up attitude, but I want to show you that the Christian church has always gone through persecution. And I'm going to prepare you for what's going to happen in America because in the end times, the Bible says this is going to get bad here. The system of this world is going to get bad, and you may have to lay down your life for the gospel. And I don't want you to be surprised when you, get, you can't go to church or it's illegal to carry your Bibles. They already took it out of our schools. I want you to be ready and have faith and know that you are blessed. Amen? Okay, so everybody say peacemakers. A peacemaker is somebody who makes peace. That's what we're going to talk about today, okay? Now, this is a challenging message. How many is this a challenging message for? Anybody else in here okay? Now, why are we all going to be shy now? Why are we all get shy now? You know this is a challenging message, man. Last week we talked about making peace in external relationships, like people we see on our job and traffic and, and you know, service people when we, you know, we're calling up for our bill. But today we're going to learn about having peace in the home. How many just would like to have peace in the home? How many just want to always stay in the home? That's what we're going to learn today. And the sons of God, the Bible says, if you're a peacemaker, you're called a son of God. Now, what is a son of God? It means to be like Jesus, to be like the Father, to be an example of God's love. And we talked about this is not the way to be a peacemaker. Amen? How many could say that this is what we get in our minds sometimes? This is what we think of, but this is not how we're going to be a peacemaker. We are going to learn to resolve conflicts in life without force. So I want everybody to say this with me. One, two, three. Resolving without force. Amen. We Chicagoans, we need that, don't we? Man, I have never seen more road rage in my entire life than I've been in the city. I remember this tow truck driver and this one guy on the side of the road, dude. I mean, they were just screaming in each other's face. And I know it was about ready to go down. Then there was another day Josh and I were uh, sitting and eating like, um, like ice cream at an ice cream parlor. And we were just on the – do you remember this, brother? We were out there, and all of a sudden this guy slams on his brakes and corners in another guy. And I felt sorry for this guy because it was a young guy screaming at like a European guy, and he was like a little old, and he was like, leave me alone. But this other guy like blocked him off. He was like, now what's up? Now what's up? And, and remember that? It was a little scary. Yeah. Y'all like, this is normal. That's not normal, okay, guys? That's crazy. I'm watching this guy block traffic and call out this old man. And we were like, what do we do? You know, so what we're looking for is to resolve conflict without force, without violence. Amen. 
And last week we talked about external relationships. Now let's talk about internal relationships. And just so you can know the difference. You know, there's always going to be things in everyday life that cause stress, okay? Jesus said, know in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world, okay? So even though there's going to be long lines, even though there's going to be traffic jams, even there's going to be things in life, we need to learn to deal with them. There's going to be people on our job that we don't always like. But here's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about relationships like at church and relationships with, with your family and marriage. You know, that's not a happy woman right there, amen? And how many people know if mama's not happy, nobody's happy? All right? So all the men here, we got to keep mama happy. All the kids, we got to keep mama happy. Okay? Because we don't want that. Now, I want you to open up your Bibles with me today to um, our first scripture, Ephesians 5:22. I want us to see how can we have peace in our home? How can we have peace in our close relationships with our church, with our brothers, our sisters, cousins, those around us? How can we be known as sons of God? If you have a gossip in your circle of friends, everybody knows that that person's a gossip. Hope it's not you. If you have an angry person in your family, somebody that loses their temper a lot, everybody knows. Don't mess with Uncle Bob. You know, at the family reunion, don't mess with Uncle Bob. He'll get mad. Well, the Bible is teaching us that happy are the peacemakers. Why? Because they're called sons of God. You see, your reputation among your family... Among this church, those that are closest to you, internal relationships should be that you're a daughter of God, that you're a son of God, that we should say of each other, man, Joey, man, he's an awesome child of God. Why? Because he's a peacemaker. He's easy to get along with. He's not easily angered. He works out his conflict without force. And that is what Jesus says makes us happy. And then Joey is called a son of God. Now, I cannot think of an honor to be given Higher than being called a son of God. Can anybody think of something higher to be called than a son of God? I cannot. Jesus himself went by that title, son of God. And so when you and I are being called a son of God, we are literally being called brothers and sisters of Christ, like our Savior Jesus. Now, today in America, Christian has lost its meaning. But you know what the word Christian was was derived from in the ancient church in the book of Acts in the city of Antioch? They were called Christians because they were like Christ. Nobody walked around saying, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. No, other people watched them and saw that how they treated each other and saw how the church took care of the poor. And they said, oh, those guys, they're little Christ. They're little Christ juniors. You know, like a little Joe Jr., a little, you know, a little junior. He said, they said, oh, those are little Jesus Juniors. Those are Christians. You see, those are sons and daughters of God. Are you with me in Ephesians? The first thing I want to ask you to do to establish peace in your home is to establish godly authority in your home. You see, for there to be peace, there has to be structure. Now, we are all created equal by God, male and female, all nationalities, all cultures. There's only one race, the human race. Amen. And then all the cultures within the human race. So we are all created equal. But for peace, God has established order. He has allowed there to be governments. And I'm glad for governments that there's not anarchy today. I'm glad that there's order on the highways because they put, uh, you know, street signs in and they put the yellow lines down because otherwise people would be driving up on the sidewalks. So there has to be order. Everybody say order. 
Well, when it comes to your home, when it comes to your house, God has established an order so that there's safety, so that every person can know what they're there to do. And look what it says in uh, verse 22. And you know I've got to preface all that because it's about ready to get a little tough right now for some ladies up in here. Amen? Okay, so y'all just keep smiling, okay? Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. It gets quiet now. For the husband. Oh, i got an amen over here. Woo! Amen! Sleeping on the couch, but yet we love you, brother. Okay, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should what? Everybody say that word. Submit to their husbands in some things. What does it say, y'all? In what? Oh, you can tell it's going to be fun. Is it already hot? Because it's hot for me. I'm sweating. Oh, praise the Lord. Okay, so here we go. We're going to establish a godly home. We've got to establish a godly authority. Look at children. Amen. If you're with your child, just give them a nudge right now. Going to Ephesians 6, just a few verses down. And remember, the Bible didn't have verses or chapters, so it's all one, one letter here. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Amen? Like an amen for the parents. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth because mama won't kill you. Amen? All right, so we want to enjoy a long life. Obey your parents. Because many spoons have been broken over my butt, and I was not, it was not going well with me, okay? So if you want to go well with you, obey your parents. So here's what I think it looks like in just a real simple form. God is the boss, okay? He creates all of us, even children. They're equal even to their parents as children of God. We're all equal. But God in the home sets up a structure, and he says that the husband is going to be the head. Now, his duty is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. So think of the challenge now that the husband has. So before men, you start saying, oh, yeah, I'm the boss, machismo, you know. Before you start doing that, you now have the greatest challenge because your example of love comes from Jesus himself. And Jesus died for his church. Jesus served his church. So now God has placed you as the head. You are to be like Christ. So what does that mean? You have to unconditionally love your wife, unconditionally love your family, and serve them, and help them, and protect them, and be a man of integrity for them. Amen? Then the Bible says that the wife will then willingly, willingly submit to that husband now as she submits to Christ. So watch how this works. The number one thing that a woman needs is her love tank to be filled through love and emotions. Love, that, that, just that warmth, that security. But what does the man need? Respect, honor, and it complements each other. So now the woman, the wife, you are to look to your husband with respect and honor and build him up and make him feel like a million bucks like my wife always does. Amen. It's my little boop through boo after service. to be like, you're the best pastor. I love you. I'm like, thank you. Tell me again. And then she'll say it all over. Oh, you preach so good. You're my preacher, man. And that's what men need. Men need to be built up. Now, when we do this right, there's peace. You see, when the man is serving his wife, when the man is laying down his life for his wife and family, 
the wife and family then are willingly serving the husband. And the reason why I believe God set this up is because if you look at husband and wife each having an equal vote, that's 50-50. You would never solve anything. You see, and that's why God had to say there was one person that was going to make that final decision. So it's like, honey, I feel like God is calling us to do such and such. Let's pray. What do you feel? Let's talk it through, you know, serving you. And then at the end of the day, the wife needs to trust the husband. Okay, this is the decision. This is what we're going to do. And I believe that brings peace. I'm following God's way. Amen. Now, I know in our society, they want to tell you that that is not right, but this is a society that has more divorce than ever before, more adultery than ever before, and all that's happening is the more we imitate them, the more that junk gets in the church. Amen? We need to go back to people being married for 50 years, raising great-great-grandchildren happy together. Amen? You know, I mean, come on. I mean, there used to be a day when even the non-Christians knew how to hold together a marriage. So, my friends, don't imitate the world. Let's just be honest about that, okay? There's nothing in Jerry Springer, Maury Povich that you need, or Oprah Winfrey, amen? That just blows my mind. We're sitting here following Oprah Winfrey. It just blows my mind. And, yes, I do watch her. Pray for me. And and I, I don't support everything she does. But we're watching Oprah Winfrey on families, and it's like she's not even married. She's in a shack-up relationship with Stedman. It's like, come on, who is who is watching this? It's like, oh, I love Oprah. I want a family like Oprah. And then we end up seeing a society that has a family like Oprah. Amen? Pray for Oprah, okay? And then the mother and father together as a unified team raise the children. And children, that means you respect your mother and your father equally. And that means if one of them says something, it's the law. You don't go to your mother and then try to manipulate and go to your father and try to turn them against each other. I already see the nudges coming. All right. You see that father and mother are a team, and mother and father, you need to stand as a team. So don't ever change a decision that one of you has said. Let your children know that you are a team and that you stand together as a team. And the Bible says that when this happens, there is peace. Now watch this. Let me tell you the the awesome part of this. You're going to be happy, and you're going to be called sons of God. And how many know that blessed families are the greatest testimony of Jesus Christ? I mean, that's really what shows this world we're different. I mean, I remember going to Bible college at, at 18 years old, having pretty much just brought up as an only child, so I never really knew much about families. And as I began to go to my friends' houses, I began to see, you know, I could do drugs at some houses, drink at other houses, some houses where, you know, the father was cheating. And so when I went to Bible college, I had to learn what type of family I was going to have. And I remember when my pastor, Brother Anthony, brought me over to his house, and I saw a happy home with four, four and five children, and I saw them respecting their parents. And at, at, every, at every day they had a dinner time, and after the dinner time they read Scripture together. And you would actually think that maybe this won't last, and maybe it was just happen for a little bit. No, they had done it successfully for 15 years, and now they've done it for practically 20 years. And my wife and I, when we go over there and we visit, I mean, we, we just continually say it over and over again. You guys are awesome. These are sons of God. Your children are children of God. And my friends, that should not just be for pastors or for, for certain people. That should be all of us. Amen? Now, he'll tell you he's wore out that belt. Amen? He'll tell you that there's been some discussions with him and his wife to the wee hours of the morning. Okay? And that there hasn't always been, you know, just this perfect family. But they've done it God's way, and there's always been peace. Why? Because they make peace. You see, if you don't make peace, trouble will make you. 
And you've got to think about that. Trouble is always going to come in your life. There's always going to be a bill that needs to be paid. There's always going to be between husband and wife some type of a conflict. The wife wants to do this. The husband wants to do this. But you see, trouble can take over and make your life miserable. But if you follow God's principle, you can make peace. Amen? In Jesus' name. And I want to encourage you here today, even if right now your house is out of order, because if it's not like this, it's out of order. Listen, God can help you right now to start making peace. Amen. And if it's got to start with a single mother or a single father, then let it start with you. Amen. And if you're ever going to get remarried, do it God's way. Don't marry the same person over and over and over again. Learn to marry the right person. Amen. And then children, maybe today some of you like your parents don't come here. I'll tell you the greatest testimony. And I got to slow down for you because I got to tell you this. A lot of you right now, you're asking your parents to come to church. And you're saying, man, come to church with me. I'm telling you the greatest thing that will bring your parents to church is you respecting them. You obeying them. You doing well in school will totally change the way your parents look at church. Because right now they could just see, oh, well, they go to church because they go on trips and they go to people's homes and they eat food. But all of a sudden when your mom asks you to clean your room, you clean the room and without an argument. And she's like, what got into him? You know, like, what is this? And all of a sudden, she sees you pulling up your grades. She sees that you're getting along in school. I guarantee you, your parents will see God's testimony in your life, and they'll call you a child of God. That will draw them here quicker than anything else. Can I hear everybody say amen? That's what we need is families that are blessed. Now, turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Because in the home, we need to be accountable to what God is telling us. We as the body of Christ are literally that. We are a part of a body. The hand is a part of the arm. The foot is a part of the leg. You and your family are a part of this church. That means that husbands should be accountable to other husbands. Amen? Oh, come on. Men need to be accountable to other men. All the men say amen. Mothers should be accountable to other mothers. Amen? And children should be accountable to other godly children. Can you say amen? You see, God has asked us to do this together. Now, it's not codependent on one another, meaning I'm going to live for God and my wife and our house is going to serve the Lord whether anybody else does. Amen. Joshua said, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord. Y'all choose what you're going to do. So we can't make excuses and say, well, I'm not going to serve God because so-and-so doesn't serve God or they're not nice to me. No, 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 no. We're going to do it independently of each other in that sense. It's all between us and my family. It's got to start with you guys. But then now watch where we do become interdependent, not codependent, is where we begin to rely upon one another for help, for encouragement, because men don't have to go through life being men by themselves. And that's one of the toughest things that I see, men, is all the men look up at me. Come on, men. Is it tough being a man? Because we have a lot riding on us. We have a lot of people looking to us. And guess what? We can bear each other's burdens. We can come to each other with the understanding that we both here need God. And I want to tell you as your pastor, I need other men. I need you to keep me accountable. Because it's not always easy for me to get up and go to work and to get up and to be a holy man of God. Sometimes I am tempted. Sometimes I am weak in my flesh. And that's why there has to be godly men around me to pray for me and to encourage me. Amen? And it goes down to each person in the family that God has intended us to have pastors and elders to be over our families. I thank God today 
that Brother Anthony is over my family. I thank God that my parents, who are also Christian parents, are over my family. Nancy will tell you that when we went to visit Brother Anthony in New Orleans, who's my pastor and has been for 12 years, that we were taking our vacation there, and he pulled her aside when I wasn't there and said, how's the marriage going? And I mean, really, how's it going? You see, I appreciate that. He wasn't going behind my back. He was just making sure my wife was taken care of. He wanted to make sure that his spiritual son was taking care of his spiritual daughter. Are you guys listening? And that's a good thing. It's a good thing that men ask other men and their wives, is your marriage good? And I'm not talking about doing it publicly. We're not talking about doing it with pride. The Bible says you only are going to have a few fathers, a few mentors in your life. So it's not everybody. It's not you're going up to everybody, hey, how do you think my marriage is? How do you think my marriage is? No, it's finding godly people that you respect and honor. And you're saying, hey, I see something good in their life. I want them to pray for me. I want to confess to them when I feel weak. And I, and I need their help. Amen? Come on, can you say amen? It sounds a little off, but it's really biblical. It sounds different to our American mind, but it makes so much sense. Look at Titus 2. You must teach what is in accord with sound doctrine. This is what Paul taught Titus to do. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-control, sound in faith, and love and endurance. So right here, Paul is telling Titus, Titus, you're a pastor of a church. Titus is in Crete. He's in the city of Crete. And Paul is saying, here's what you teach the older men to do. So all of the older men, and older men according to the Bible would be 30 plus. So an older man, here you are. You must be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and endurance. We should remind each other of that. There's nothing wrong with you asking me, hey, Joe, is everything under control? Are you doing good? That's a good question to ask me. You would be surprised right now what's happening among middle-aged men. Suicide is going up right now in America. The 40-plus, the baby boomers are committing suicide more than they ever have before, and men are on the rise. And why? Because men, they build their lives. They build their house of sand, and it begins to fall apart. They get out of control, and they feel that no one's there for them and that they have all this stress and pressure. It should never get to that point for us as Christians. We should always be around each other. Hey, if a brother's lost a job, we should go up to him. Hey, brother, are you in control? Is God helping you? Are, are you still sound in love? Or do you need to sit down and pray? Let's, let's go through this together, man. Let's meet every morning until you start to get back on your feet. Amen. Well, that's a true Christian for the older men. Amen. Oh, I just need some amens today. Is that okay? Can you all help me with amens? I'm like in an amen mood. Sometimes I get in those amen moods. Okay. Verse 3. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. So older women would be 30 plus. Here's what it is. Here's what the Bible is teaching you to do. It says be reverent in the way you live. That means not to dress provocative. That means not to be unholy. Be reverent. Be, be respectable. Let, let women respect you. Let that, not them see you competing for their husband, trying to take their boyfriend. It says be reverent. And it says don't be a slanderer. So don't be a gossip. Don't go around talking about other women. One of the things that we do as Christians is so, is so much of the devil is we see people's problems and gossip instead of see people's problems and pray. You understand? We're supposed to be praying. So women, if you have that insight and that spiritual gift to see others' problems, pray for them. And the Bible says don't be addicted to wine. Teach what's good. Now look what it keeps doing. Going down now to younger women. It says when they train the younger women to love their husbands and children. So the older women are to teach who? 
the younger women, and how are younger women to be? That's 30 and under. Love their husbands and children. Teach the younger women to be self-controlled, pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the Word of God. So you know what the Bible is saying? When we get this in order, people can't speak bad about us. Do you know when people call us hypocrites, it's because we don't follow this? Hello? I want you to think about that. What's the number one problem that people have with churches right now? They're hypocrites. And what makes a person a hypocrite? Why? Because they're a slanderer. They go out behind people's back. They start cliques. They mistreat people. The Bible says if you do these things, God's word will be glorified, and you'll be called sons of God instead of be calling hypocrites. And let's keep going. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. And everything set them an example by doing what is good. So what does the Bible say? That we're to take our young men and we're to set them as examples. Because they're going to be men one day. Leaders of their home. So we are to teach them how to be an example. So all the young men here, be an example right here of what it is good. You represent Metro Praise in this church and the name of Christ at your school. So when you guys are passing gas and burping and laughing at each other, okay, you guys then need to learn how to get it under control and get in school and get your good grades and be out in the community respectful. And all the young men said amen. Amen. Now look what it says in your teaching. He's now saying to Titus the pastor. So you're saying, okay, what about pastors? Here we go. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, soundness of speech that they cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Has your pastor done these things? Amen. Have I given you some soundness of speech? Have I been serious about the things of God when it's time to be serious? Have I done a good job? Amen. Now it says, verse 15, these things are the things you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anybody despise you. So in our church, we have set this up so that everybody here can learn to do their part. And we do that through our mentoring, through our one-on-one discipleship, so that the women are discipling the women. The young women are discipling the young women. And vice versa with the men and the young men, so that everybody's accountable. Who's pastoring me? Another pastor. Here it is. This is what the Bible said. He said, do these things. Encourage. Help those do it. Come on, man. You can do it. Encourage. Now, when people stop doing it, rebuke them. Hey, you need to stop treating your wife that way, sir. Young person, you need to obey your parents. Wife, you need to submit to your husband. Bible says encourage rebuke encourage rebuke and the bible says no one should despise us then amen that is a blessed home everybody say peacemakers will be called the sons of god amen turn with me now to first corinthians 13 this today is definitely like i said not a message that i would pick out out of out of favorite messages i would want to preach i would want to preach revival and repentance and miracles but you know what this is going to actually make us very happy This is going to bless us probably more than any message we've heard so far because this is the practical life of a Christian. Because many of you come here, and yes, you feel God's presence. You jump around, and we love the Lord. You pray, you fall down, you go boom. You kneel at the altar, tears coming down your eyes. Oh, Dito, praise the Lord for you. And then you go home, and it's all in shambles. Everything's out of order. Kids hanging off the rafters. Man coming in out the house. Older kids out of control. You yourself in a shacking relationship. Husband doesn't know how to treat the wife, vice versa. And all of a sudden we are like, what do we do? Well, that's where Christianity really starts. This is what you do. You come home, set the thing in order, get it right, start obeying the Lord and get everybody else right. Amen. And if they don't want to get right, kick them out. Okay. 
And if they're too young to kick out, just put them in their room and not feed them for a while. I'm kidding. But I'm kind of serious. I'm kidding, though. Oh, that's funny. Parents loving that one. I don't know how long could you not feed them for and not get in trouble. I got the young guys. Don't do that. Amen. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 4. This is now how we do it. So how do we gain control of our homes? How do we continue in the authority of our homes? In love. Everybody say in love. Though we may feel like locking them up and chaining them down, though we may feel like just having an all-out fight, though the flesh may want to do that, the Bible says do it in love. Now let's see what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. Keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Can everybody say that with me? Love never fails. Can you say one more time with me, please? Love never fails. That's the key. I got to love my wife. If she makes a mistake, I've got to forgive her, not be easily angered, and keep no record of that wrong. Amen? And when I make my many mistakes and she's continually forgiving me every day, she needs to forgive me, keep no record of wrong, be patient. Just go through that list and just see how you're doing. Give yourself a score, 1 to 10. Take some time this week. How patient am I? 1 is not patient at all. I lose my temper at the first sign of a honk behind me or in traffic or the first time my wife nags or says something I don't like. And the very fact that we call it nagging is probably not a good thing. Um, that my wife asks me to do something I don't want. Am I very unpatient or 1 to 10? And 10, am I doing good? Rate yourself. And then start saying, Lord, develop these in me. Develop in me patience. Develop in me so I won't be jealous. I cannot believe how many young couples deal with jealousy. That is not good. If you're in a young relationship right now and you're starting off and already you're jealous of each other, something is very wrong. Jealousy will tear a relationship apart. And I could just go through here being rude and self-seeking. See, God is saying this is how we do it. We do it in love. Everybody say love. Now turn with me to Luke 17.4. So number one, what do we do? We establish authority. Number two, we get accountable in the church. Number three, we do all things in love, and now we forgive. So what's the Bible teaching us today? Happy are the peacemakers, for they'll be called sons of God. Happy are you when there's peace in your home because your house is in order, you're doing things in love, and you're forgiving. Because we will make mistakes. How many men could say amen to that? We do make mistakes in life. Children, how many of y'all can say amen? Y'all make mistakes. Y'all ain't perfect, though. You almost look perfect. You're so cute. <laughs> I love you guys. These are my young men right here. They're powerful for the Lord. Dios amigos, right? Men of God. Now, guess what? When these little guys mess up, and I had one of these guys that's a little bit older take our van out for a ride and wreck the van, Jesus, help us. It's like I felt like I was all of a sudden raising teenagers. I don't know how this happens as a youth pastor. He's driving our van. It's an accident. It can happen to anybody. Our van comes back, you know, damaged to the headlight. That's why if you see the hood kind of popping up a little bit, we have to thank one of our young adults who did have his license. But you know what we do? We always forgive. That's what you have to do. I thank God that parents can forgive their children. Now husbands and wives have to do the same thing. And in our relationships with our church, everybody forgive. Say forgive. Forgive. Verse 4 says, if he sins against you seven times in the day and seven times comes back to you and says, I repent, forgive him. 
Now, what are we talking about? Internal relationships. If your husband really does not care about you and is intentionally hurting you, you need to seek counseling and get some godly authority in your life to help him know what a man is. But we're not talking about intentional hurts today. We're talking about when we as Christians are in the home and we're trying to do good, but we make mistakes and we hurt each other. The Bible says just keep forgiving one another. Do you know when I got married, my wife and I, that was the first thing that we had to learn. Is that, you know what, we got to forgive each other. If I wake up in the morning and I like my toothbrush and this little thing right by the sink and it's moved over here and put on the toilet or something, and I'm like, no, not if she would do that, but I'm just trying to think of something. I can't even remember all the little things. But there's, oh, the bed. Okay, the bed. I can just see it right now. Listen, before we got our king-size bed, we shared a queen-size bed, okay? And my wife likes to sleep diagonal, okay? And so... I tried, to div- I tried to divvy up the bed according to weight, and I am two-thirds my wife's size. So shouldn't it make sense that I, that I get two-thirds of the bed? Not a half. Why do I split half and half? I'm so big. She should get a third, okay? So we tried that, and it didn't work. Okay, now guess what? Every day, and literally every day, it's spread out, puts her hand over my face, go diagonal, and then my arm go over her face, and that was how we slept, okay? And seriously, like seriously, like like almost to the point where I feel bad for sharing this because now you're going to really know our business, but it would always be like every night, like a little like, you know, like we start hitting each other, and then like I'm getting pinched, and like it would be like this little brawl. For like five minutes, and then like we like fall asleep. Like okay, but you know what? We see you guys going to know too much now. Be nice with that information. You know what? We had to forgive each other every day. She had to forgive me, and literally, I know a few times I clocked her right in the face, and it was by accident. But it's just like, and I just wake up to her screaming and punching me. But she forgave me. Now we have a king-size bed. And it's like, honey, 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 come on over, come on over. And so you got to forgive. And as, as, as jovial as that is, I mean, there were some serious discussions in our relationship. And, and most of them, honestly, I can't even remember. You know why? Because we forgive. And with our children, we need to do the same thing. Now, I want you to put this all together here today. Here are just some helpful hints. Now, This is given out of a book called The Total Man, and it's to help men get along in marriage. I recommend the five love languages for marriages, also The Total Man, also Personality Plus for relationships, for those that are in relationships. Those that are parenting and uh, need uh, classes on that, come see me because we haven't parented yet, and I don't have any books on that. Uh, But I'm sure they're out there. Maybe a Josh McDowell book. Uh, Somebody has a good book out there for that. But these are parenting uh, uh, marriage books. And these principles can be applied to you in any relationship. So I think you can put them as a parent, parents, uh, I mean children to your parents. Watch these principles right here. Here's some principles. Number one, if you ever get into an argument, try to find a time to fully work it out. Okay? So if a problem ever comes in your family, husband and wife, uh, uh, parents and children, make time to work it out. The grocery store is not the time to work it out. Amen? Okay? It's not the right time at church. And I know sometimes the devil tries to get us on the way to church. That is not the time. 
What we want to do is if it involves our kids, what I recommend is having a time and a place where they are familiar with. If it's always, like, like pick a place like the couch and always get a familiar place with them so they can know, parents, that when they sit down here at this time, it's discipline time, okay? With husband and wife, find an appropriate place where both of you feel comfortable, where the kids are not going to hear, and you can discuss this appropriately. So this is some help I'm going to give you now and what to do to make peace if there's a conflict. So this is rule number one, establish a time and get together and make sure that you have enough time to fully work it out. Number two, which is pretty obvious, never get physical, okay? Don't start beating. If you're trying to work out the problem with your child and you're beating while you're explaining, I'm going to help you right here. It's not going to go as well with them, okay? So if you're like, don't do that ever again, you know, all of their, all they're hearing is the, okay? So have a real rational discussion first. Like, I love you. You're never to hit your sister again. Now go in the bathroom, pull down your pants because you're getting three, okay? That's okay if it's got to go like that. But let's learn, and I learned this from Brother Anthony and his wife, there's got to be that time of rational discussion. Once children are old enough to understand, sit down and do that. And definitely between husband and wife, never get physical. Never get physical. Amen? Now, never use I statements. Instead, use you statements. This will really help some of you out. This will help my wife and I out. When you're in an argument, it's always really easy to say, you did this to me. You always do this. It's so easy to start saying you statements. But to be a peacemaker, try to use I statements. So, for example, like going back to the bed situation with my wife, I can say you always, like when I wake up the next morning with a crack in my back and my, and my face is busted up, I could say, honey, you always do that to me. You, you sleep on this side of the bed and you make my night a hard night. I could say that, but you know what that is? That is not making peace. That's going to make war, Okay. That's going to make some more. And, and, and y'all who are married know the triggers of what to do to start war, okay? But watch how differently this sounds. Honey, I feel like I'm not getting good sleep. See, I put it on me now. Instead of making a you statement, I make an I statement. I feel that when you, when, you hit, when you go to the side, I get uncomfortable. I'm not sleeping well at night. Can you do something for me? You see, what it does is now it puts the problem in my boat because when I try to say it's your problem, what I'm doing now is I'm shifting the blame and I'm automatically saying that you're wrong, I'm right, now you change. Where if you start with an I statement, it's able to be more peaceable because maybe it is my fault equally as it is the other person's fault. Are you all getting this? And so starting with an I statement, it, it diffuses the person feeling that they're, they're going to be attacked now. And so when you start by saying an I statement, you're talking about your feelings. And a person who really loves you should be able to hear your feelings. Like, I'm feeling I'm not getting good sleep. Then she can be like, oh, honey, I'm sorry. Did I do that? You know? I could say, yeah. And then she say, I'm sorry. I won't do that again. Instead of her saying, well, you do this back to me. You understand? You, get, you, get, you guys get the point about you statements. Because once they start going, it's you do this, you do that. And it goes back and forth. Try to use I statements. Here's another one. Try to see the other person's point of view. Now, this is always very hard for me, okay? I don't see other people's point of view very well. But what we should do as peacemakers is when we're in a conflict, we should be able to take that time to sit down and work out a problem and say, how does the other person feel? How many have ever done that in life? Let me just give you the award for being the greatest person that I know. Because I don't do that very well. The moment I am mad, I am telling you why I'm mad. I'm telling you what brought me to this point, what I've been thinking about all day long. And you're going to hear how I feel. I, I struggle with that. But I'll tell you what, in marriage, I've been learning. 
that when I'm getting into that argument, I say about the bed, I need to now say, how does my wife feel? Why is my wife needing to sleep kitty corner? Maybe she feels that she has to do. And here's, and I'll be honest with you. Why does my wife do that? Because no matter where she is in the bed and she's sleeping, she always wants a part of her body to touch me. Oh, you see? And so if she's like getting like this, she'll keep reaching out that foot until she finds me. And I'm like rolling over to the side of the bed, going more over here. And all of a sudden, like her little foot will just find me. Like, think, oh, she's safe now. Her little toe is touching my leg. She can go to bed now. You see? But see, if I don't stop and figure out how she feels, it's all about me, and I'm putting blame on her. I never stopped and thought about that. That's a good one. Watch your tone. How many could work on that one right there? If you're in an argument with your kids, before you start screaming, parents, try to watch your tone. Uh, Definitely husband and wife, talk to each other in a different tone than this. Because once it gets to here, it's pretty bad. You know what I'm saying? Oh, Lord, help me. Man. It was so funny. Is my, my wife has uh, gotten some discussions with my parents. And at first, when, when we did, she actually cried a little bit. Because my mother and I talk like how most people consider yelling. This is how I talk to my mom, you know. Because my mom goes right from here to here, like in 30 seconds. And one day my mom was talking to my wife like that. And all of a sudden I saw little tears come down my wife's eyes. I was like, don't let my mom do that to you. Fight back. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Mom, I'm kidding. No, but you know what? I had to say to my mom, I was like, Mom, look, we got to keep our tone down because we get loud. You know what I'm saying? And Nancy didn't grow up in a family where Mama G was loud like that, but my mother can be loud, and I can be loud, and I think there's a lot of people that can be loud too, okay? And especially teenagers, when you're talking to an adult, you need to humble yourself and have have a respectable tone. And all the parents said amen. Repeat what the other person is saying. I feel like Dr. Phil today, okay? This is like the one time I ever preached a message like this. But I thank God for it. It's going to help us. But really, it does, man. It really helps us, especially in marriage counseling. It really helps us. Repeat what the other is saying. So you say, is this what you're saying? Are you saying that you do not appreciate when I do this? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. And what you need to do is you need to keep repeating what the other person is saying until the other person says, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Because in a conversation, how many of us know that while the other person is talking, most times we're thinking about what we're going to say. And in an argument, that is not good. It's like you're just thinking, yeah, I know exactly what I'm going to get you with right now. Okay. Now it's my turn. And then it's like, and it's like, what am I saying? And like, I don't know what you're saying, but I'm telling you what I'm saying. This is exactly what I'm saying. What we need to do is say, okay, is this what you're saying? And repeat it. And even with our children, parents, if you're going to correct them and, you, and you're trying to understand their other point of view, really try to get what they're, under, what they're feeling. Honey, are you saying that you're getting bad grades in school because the kid next to you keeps messing with you? No, I'm saying that blah, 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 blah. Well, are you saying this? No. And then finally, when you can get in an agreement, then you can solve the problem. You can be like, okay, the reason why you're not getting good grades in school is because you feel tired. And there may be a real reason why. Does he feel tired, okay? He may have to change his diet. And that's really what happens in our relationships. If we can repeat what the other one's saying, we can actually help. Because remember, we're here to make peace. Amen? We're not here to win an argument. We're not here to prove we're smarter than our spouse. Amen? Because women knows who's smartest, right? The women already know. That's the men. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Amen. Verse uh, verse 7. Look at me. 
Number seven from Dr. Phil's list of how to get along. Praise God. Help us, Lord. It says, never use. You always or you never. I notice that when we make sweeping statements, it really makes the other person feel bad. So like with Nancy, if, if, I, if I don't like, like something she cooks that day, and I say, you never cook anything good, how many know I just crushed her spirit? You see, I, I've forgotten about the time that she cooked the, the, uh, you know, the French toast and the eggs for me. I'm forgetting the time that she made homemade pizza, and it was wonderful. You see, if I just one day don't like something and I'm in a bad mood, and I make that sweeping statement, you never make anything good. I have just crushed my wife. And that's why when we talk to each other, we shouldn't say the word never and always. We should deal with every situation individually. Today, honey, I really was not feeling that food. You see, she can deal with a statement like that. You all with me? Today with your kids, if they misbehave, child today, you're, you're messing up today. Instead of saying, you always go out of the church and cause trouble. You always back talk. You always, because what you're doing is you're negating all of the positive behavior that they do. And then when someone feels that they can never do good enough, they give up. And when they feel like they can't make a difference and it's always bad and it's never good enough, what is our habit to do? Well, fine. I'm not even going to try then. And that's the way it is in marriages, and that's the way it can be with our family, and especially with the people that are around us as our friends. So this can even apply to your friends. If you get in an argument, just try to pinpoint the situation. Today I feel this. Amen? Never bring up past sins. When we are dealing with the situation, it should be dealt with that day and forgiven. And a new day is a new day. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians that to hold no records of wrongs. So we should not be dragging the past up every single time, going, well, you did this and you did that. You will notice in a somebody's conversation, especially after you leave here today, when the argument just gets totally out of hand, it's when they go on that rampage of how they've always felt about you and how it's always been crazy in their mind. And, dude, you can just see somebody. They just click out. Has anybody ever seen somebody just click out? And they're just like, you're like this, and you've always been like this, and you do this, and you've always been like this. And sometimes parents, it's easy to click out like that. I'm telling you, the moment it gets there, there is not going to be peace. And another thing that happens is, is it just demeans that other person. It makes them feel like they've never done anything good, that there's no value in them, and that there's no sense in trying. And so when we're in an argument or a disagreement with husband and wife, what should we do? Just stay on that subject. Just stay right on that day. Even though we might have messed up in that area before, even though in the sleeping thing with the bed, it might have happened repeatedly. Guess what? It's just today. It's just right now. The other times have been forgiven. Let's deal with today. Everybody say forgive. Amen. Don't leave until the problem is settled. So for everybody that likes to stomp out the room, you guys need to chill, okay? No running out the room until the problem is settled. I thank God that over three years of marriage, my wife and I have never gone to bed angry. Though we have gone to bed around 3 and 4 in the morning, amen? Because we took our time to make sure that it got resolved. But the Bible says, do not let the sun set on your anger. Work through it thoroughly. And then that's why the Bible says to have biblical authority. At, the, at, at some point, if, if there's not an agreement, the parent just needs to say, well, this is the way it is. This is what we're going to do. And I need you to accept that, okay? And sometimes with the husband and wife, the husband may just for the sake of peace in the family, just say, honey, we, we, we've talked about it. We've said all that needs to be said. This is what we're going to do. 
you're sorry, I'm sorry, let's move on. And I think Nancy will even tell you that's so good when there's biblical authority because the husband should not allow these arguments to continue. Round two, ding, 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 you know, husband and wife wake up, it's round two. Round three is the next day. No, the husband, a good husband, will not dictate, but he will make sure that that night that that problem is solved. Everybody say, solve the problem. Amen. And always forgive and move on. Would you stand up to your feet with me today? If you love the Lord, will you bless him today in the house of God? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Rachel, would you come up here, please? Today we've learned the simple subject. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. Now, like I said before, this may not have been the most radical sermon, but I really believe today it's going to make a difference. Blessed are the peacemakers. Today, you are in relationships that trouble can be made or peace can be made. And so we have a few minutes left here to pray. And I really want us to be honest with our lives now. So would you just bow your head and close your eyes, please, just as a time of reflection now. Jesus, we want to apply this word to our hearts. We want to apply the word, O God, of making peace. God, there's nothing greater in this earth that we could be called than a son or daughter of yours. So today, God, show us if there's conflict in our life. Right now, with every head bowed and eyes closed, if you came here today and you're not born again, if you're not ready to meet God on Judgment Day, if you're not ready to see Him for eternity, you need to make peace with Him. He needs to become the authority of your life. Jesus will give you a purpose in life worth living for. The Bible says that's called being born again. So we're going to start right now with those that may have came here and you're not in a good relationship with God. You see, Christianity is not a religion. It's not just you show up here on Sunday, punch in your time clock and say, okay, I'm cool with God now. No, that's religion. You are in a relationship with God. He is your creator. He's known as our father. And the Bible says He loves you and desires to get to know you. And so today, how is your relationship with Him? And what sin does, the reason why sin is so bad, it's not just God wants us to stop smoking and cussing and doing the bad of life. No, what sin is, is things that take us from God. It breaks that relationship. And so today, if you came here and you're not in a good relationship with God, why don't you make peace with Him right now? Just say, Lord, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I accept you into my life. And let my life start over again right now with you. So if that's you right now, just go ahead and just slip up your hands and just begin to pray. We're not going to embarrass you. You don't have to worry about who's looking around. Hands are going up. Come on, anybody else. Just raise up your hand and say, Jesus, I want to be at peace with you. I want to have a good relationship with you. Come on, don't fight against God. Don't resist. Just give your life to Him right now, just right where you are. Oh, Jesus, if you came here today, maybe you're a backslider or a Christian that's struggling in sin. Just raise up your hands right now and say, Lord, deliver me from pornography. Lord, deliver me from anger. Deliver me from things that cause us to have a bad relationship. Come on, Christians. If you know you're struggling today, make peace with God. Just raise up your hands because before we start praying for peace in your family, you need to be at peace with God. He loves you. 
He loves you. Just come to Him right now. Accept Him. Ask for forgiveness. Welcome His Spirit into your life. I'm going to give you a few moments. Jesus, Christians, pray. Those that are saved, pray that others will get saved and live saved. Oh, Jesus, we thank You for the blood. We thank You today that we make peace with You because You died for us. Oh, God, You brought peace between us and the Father, Jesus. You took the enmity. You took the wrath for us. Oh, today we want to be at peace with the Father. We want our lives to glorify Him. We want a relationship with Him. Oh, Jesus, we want to know You. Holy Spirit, thank You for being in our lives. I want to know You more and more. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, be at peace with God today, friends. A few more moments. Come on. Be at peace with God. Who else today needs to get at peace with God? Oh, what a feeling it is. What a joy it is to know that God is in your life and that things are good between you and God. Oh, thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. He'll forgive you. If he taught us to forgive, how much more will he forgive? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Now, this is what I'm going to ask you to do. Husbands and wives, would you hold each other's hands? We're going to start right now and ask for God to grant peace to the homes that are here, those that have peace. We're going to continue to pray that peace will be in your home. Husband and wife, just hold each other's hands. We're not going to embarrass you in this place today. We're not going to ask you to just talk about your problems. If you want to do that, you can come to me privately or one of the elders. Nancy, come on up here. We're just going to start to pray for you right now. Husband and wives, Father God, we thank you today for husbands and wives. Lord, we thank you today for families. Just pray for your spouses. I'm praying for you. God, I thank you for Nancy. God, I thank you. You brought her into my life, Lord. God, I pray that there will always be peace in our home, Lord. God, let us establish that authority just every day, Lord, that you're the boss. That you're the boss, oh God, and that, Lord, I'm going to be the man you called me to be. God, help me, Lord. And that, Lord, I'm going to love her, God. I'm going to love her like you love her. And, Jesus, I pray, God, that she serves God, serves the family, serves me like she serves you, Lord, with joy, oh, God. And as she submits in all things, God, I pray, God, that she becomes great, Lord, in your kingdom. Because you said servants, God, are the greatest. God, I thank you for my wife, Lord. I pray for peace in the home. God, no matter what we go through, whatever trouble we face, God, God, we surrender our rights to you. God, we choose to do it in love. We choose to go through life in love, oh God. And God, now I pray for every marriage in this place, every engaged couple. Lord, every couple that is here, Lord, I pray you just bring peace to their home. If there's any turmoil, God, I pray that you take it out right now, Lord, and let them establish your authority. And God, those that are living for you, God, I pray that you just continue to bless them. I even pray for Ish and Robin, God, as they're on vacation. God, what a joy it is for a husband and wife to go on vacation. God, bless them. Bless our families here, God. God, let the love flame never die out. Let us always love our wives, God, and wives loving their husband. God, let us fall in love with each other every day, oh God. Oh God, I thank you for husbands and wives. God, what, the, what joy we find in each other. God, that we get to be an example of Christ in the church. Hallelujah. Now, parents, if your children are next to you, just grab their hands if you can and Children, get by your parents if you're not sitting by them right now. And just as a family, just hold each other's hands. 
I'm going to give you a moment, some of the young people to move around. We're going to pray today for families. We're going to pray that God blesses children, that God blesses the home, that every person that heard this message today is going to work out their difficulties the right way, and that there's going to always be peace. There's always going to be peace. Hallelujah, Lord. I thank you for families today, Lord. God, I thank you for sons and daughters. God, I thank you for moms and dads today. Lord God, I pray today you make the family one. God, make them unified, oh Lord. God, I pray if there's any attitude, God, any friction, that God, every person will humble themselves and find their position and do what you called them to do, Lord. God, I pray that children will submit to their parents, that God, parents will look after their children. And that, God, in times of conflict, they'll try to understand each other's point of view. That, God, they'll listen to each other. That, God, they'll be patient and work out their problems in love, Lord. And, God, I pray for our children, God, that they'll be blessed. That they'll grow up strong, God. As I'm praying for your children, just name their names. Lay your hands on them. Just pray for them, parents. Father, I pray that, they, that the men grow up to be strong men, oh God. That they become good fathers and good husbands, oh God. That they become, oh God, men of God to this community. Lord, I pray for the young women that they grow up, God, strong and healthy as women of virtue. Proverbs 31, women, God. That they themselves will be successful. That, God, they'll wait until the man of their dreams comes. And God comes in holiness and builds a marriage and a family on your word. That they'll be daughters of Zion. That, God, they'll be women of God of virtue. And that, God, these children, God, will be blessed. And that their children will be blessed. And that, God, a heritage will come even from them, O God, to the third and fourth generation. That, God, when their grandparents, they're blessed. And they bless their children and their children's children. God, we thank you for peace in the home. Bring peace. Now, would you do me a favor and just span these altars and the gaps and everybody hold somebody's hand? We're going to pray for peace in our community. Ricky, would you come? I'm going to ask that you would just pray for peace in our city, peace in our neighborhoods, that God would make peace in our schools, that the gangs would make peace with each other, that races and cultures would make peace with each other, knowing there's just one race, that governments would make peace with each other. I know it sounds like a lofty goal to have peace on earth, but isn't that what the angels sang when Jesus came? Peace on earth and mercy to all. He is called the Prince of Peace. Let us ask Him that He will come and bring peace. Let His will be done on earth even as it is in heaven. Just pray for your community. Pray for your neighbors. Come on. Let's pray, church. Pray for your communities. Pray for families and pray for your friends. Pray for the city. Lord, we love you. And we thank you that you're the God of impossibles, Lord. You're the God that calls things that are not as though they were, Father God. And though peace on earth, Lord Father God, might seem impossible, Lord, it's possible with you. It is possible with you for gangs to lay down their guns and their drugs. It is possible with you, Father God, for our families to be united again. It is possible with you for communities to change, for it could be prosperous. 
for drugs, oh, Father, prostitutes to lay down their lives, oh, Father, God, for you, Lord. It is possible with you, Lord. We can't do it. The government can't do it. Police officers can't do it, but you can, Lord. You can bring unity. You can bring peace. You can do it, Father God. You can bring healing, Lord. You can bring it, Father God. So, Lord, we come to you, Father God, for help because we can't get it nowhere else, Lord. Lord, we come to you for help, for wisdom, for strength, for Father God, for wisdom. Help us, Lord. Help us, Father God. Lord, that people will see that we are sons and daughters of God. Lord, that they will see our example and they will follow it, Father God. And that they will see that is good. And I want what they have, Lord. Help us be examples, Father God. Lord Jesus, I pray for this city to taste you. That they will taste you and see that you are good, Father God. Jesus, open your heavens and release your spirit upon us. Bring unity and bring peace, Father God. Lord, that they will lay down violence, Lord. That they will lay down the uh, drugs. They will lay down uh, the party and the drunkenness, Father God, that destroys so many lives and families, Lord. Jesus, Lord, save this city, Father God. We need you, Lord. We need you, Father God. There's no one else that we want, no one else that we need but you, Lord. You are all that we want, Father God. And without you, Lord Jesus, we are lost. We are lost, Father God. I pray that we will come back to you, Lord. That we will come back to you, Father God. Jesus, Lord, have your way in our lives. Have your way in this city, Lord. Send us out, Father God, that we will teach these people. That we will teach this world how to be godly. We will teach them how to live for you, Lord. How to be godly women, how to be godly men. You don't need to party. You don't need to do drugs. You don't need all this stuff to be happy. All we need is you, Lord. You are all that we need. You are all that we need, Father God. We are content with you, Lord. You are more than enough. We are satisfied with you, Lord. Jesus, let the world know your, of your name. Let the world know, Lord, Father God. In Jesus' name, have your every family that was represented here that their children weren't here or their parents weren't here god we just pray they go home today and that god as they walk into that house god they speak your word peace peace to the house father god and as they speak peace father god i pray that the holy spirit will move on their behalf in jesus name if you love the lord can you say amen and bless him today hallelujah we bless you lord Gloria, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Would you slap your neighbor high five and say peace? God bless you. Thanks for coming today. Enjoy the snacks and fellowship. We'll see you this week. God bless you.